Just a few things, um, just for some family time tonight before we get started. I, um, there was some confusion this morning about what was going on in the back, even who it was. Um, I was given names that didn't match and people. So does anyone know anything new? I didn't even know who to follow up with this afternoon. What, who it was or what happened? What happened? Irene, she had a seizure. Thank you for letting us know. So I, well, I am, thank you for all of you who are in the medical field who rushed over there to help. Um, It's not always clear when I'm up front and you're kind of multitasking in that moment. You have a sermon, you have people, you have people, you have radios going off. So it was, uh, um, I just really appreciate you handling that as well as you did. By the way, Aaron, this means something. Just a new aesthetic, the chairs are? So I can have a seat during the Lord's table or something right there? I can have my pick of any chair I want. Are we getting close to getting ready for Christmas season? Uh, Prepping right now. Um, And um, I'm going to come up here on the mic real quick. Just don't roll your eyes and laugh at me. (laughs) I wish you could be in our staff meeting sometimes. The kids will be restless. Um, we, we do, I know there's going to be more formal announcement, but a little different uh, approach to the concert this year. And maybe they can know so we can begin planning, circling that date, and how, it's, how different it is from the last previous years. Okay, so yeah, in the, in the past few years, we've had the, the tables and the desserts and coffee. And two nights, right, we're going to, mostly for the sake of, of, um, of finances, but even just kind of function, we're going to be eliminating the, the table aspect, and we'll rearrange the seats some and make it more uh, intimate concert uh, feel, and we're going to be doing one night of a concert, and we're very excited. The choir's been prepping, and I have some instrumental stuff lined up that's going to be really exciting. Good. So still is definitely um, a good opportunity to invite people to, to the event. Um, you know, Rick will still do a devotional, and we will still have, you know, an intermission with coffee and goodies. This is, I'm just, this is all totally unplanned as of this point, but there will be stuff in the foyer for an intermission to... This is Mission Road. To, it'll involve food. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's food and drink what, to enjoy. What night in the of the of week? It. It's a, a Sunday night. Sunday night. It'll be so a So we're doing Sunday it in night. place of the, the service. Second Sunday group? of... Third Sunday. Yeah, second, yes. Yeah, so we'll, more details will happen, but I, I just yeah. want you to... Really think about and pray about um, uh, the involvement because it, it's going to be a tool that you, you'll be able to use to invite people to hear the truth of the gospel and to have a slice of, of a Christmas season where we're talking about what it means that God invaded the world in the incarnation. So please, uh, I don't even know what day it is. I think it's the second or third Sunday. December 15th. December 15th. So mark that on your calendars and uh, please, please uh, be a part of that. Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Tonight is not a pure sermon. It's more of a workshop. And in fact, if we have some time at the end, I'd like to be able to discuss things if you have any questions. This is all a setup so that we can understand how to approach our Bibles. Uh, Beginning in just a few weeks on Sunday nights, I'm going to start a series 
on, called 66 Snapshots of God. And in that series, we're going to cover an entire book of the Bible each Sunday night. And it's, it's, it's intended so that you won't be intimidated by these books. You'll understand that Genesis is four events followed by four people. You'll understand that Exodus has to do with Moses being established as the, the leader of Israel to give them the law, to give them the revelation of God, to set up the, the um, return of the Jews to the, um, uh, the land that God promised them, um, Leviticus, Numbers. We're just going to march through one at a time such that I hope by the end you'll be able to look at a book and say, I, I know what that's about. Esther doesn't intimidate me. Second Samuel, oh, I understand how that's different from First Samuel. Where's David? Where's Saul? Just to have some orientation points. Hopefully be able to organize some notes for you to, to be able to um, attach your thinking through these books. Um, every book has a significant message. And each book's message is very simple. To reveal something about God and something about us. In fact, to understand ourselves more, we understand our need to understand God better. And to understand God better is to see ourselves in the proper light as sinners in need of grace. So instead of that, I want to take tonight and just kind of roll up our sleeves and say, what does it mean to read and what does it mean to study our Bibles? That's not necessarily the exact same thing. And I hope by the, the time we finish I will uh, make a plea to you that both are very important, that reading is important and studying is important. And if you mix up the two, sometimes you can be discouraged. I trust that you'll understand that in a few minutes. I've shared this quote with you before, and I share it with you again without any reservation. It's from uh, the book by W.A. Criswell from 1969, Why I Preach the Bible is Literally True. And the way he sets up understanding the multi-genres, the different ways that God expresses himself in the Bible is so helpful and so wonderfully poetic. I want to read it to you again. Just listen to the marvel that is God's word. He writes, The Bible was written on two continents in countries hundreds of miles apart. One man wrote part of the Bible in Syria. Another man wrote another part in Arabia. A third man wrote another portion in Italy and another in Greece. They wrote in the desert of Sinai, in the wilderness of Judea, in the cave of Adullam, in the public prison of Rome, on the isle of Patmos, in the palaces of Mount Zion and Shushan, by the rivers of the Babylon and on the banks of the Chabar. Such a variety of places and circumstances were the various bits of this strange mosaic called the Bible created. No literary phenomenon in the world can be compared with it. The Bible was written in three distinct languages, namely Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Some writers wrote hundreds of years after or before the others. The first part was written about 1,500 years before the man who wrote the last part was even born. The authorship of the books of the Bible extends through the slow progress of nearly 16 centuries. When we think that the nation of America is not yet 200 years old, remember this is 1969, we, it's almost unbelievable that the authorship of the Bible covered nearly 16 centuries. 
The Bible is written by men upon every level of political and social life. From the king upon his throne, down to herdsmen, shepherds, fishermen, and petty politicians. Here are words by princes, by poets, by philosophers, and by fishermen. By statesmen, by prophets, by priests, by publicans, by physicians, by men learned in the wisdom of Egypt, by men educated in the school of Babylon, by men trained at the feet of rabbis like Gamaliel. Men of every grade and class are represented in this miraculous volume. The circumstances under which the book was written were sometimes the most difficult and always varying. Parts of the Bible were written in tents, deserts, cities, palaces, and dungeons. Some of it was written in times of imminent danger and other portions of it were written in seasons of ecstatic joy. Not only in background and in circumstances do the authors differ who wrote the Word of God, but they also display in their writings every form of literary structure. This is interesting. In the Bible we find all kinds of poetry such as epic poetry, lyric poetry, didactic poetry, uh, elegatic poetry, rhapsodic poetry. We also find every kind of prose. There's historic prose, didactic prose, and theological prose. The Bible will be partly in the form of letters, in the form of proverbs, in the form of parable, in the form of allegory, in the form of oration. Every kind of style and type of literature we will find in the Word of God. In light of this brief review, Criswell says, is it thinkable that any book written in different places, different languages, different literary genre, by different authors of varying cultural levels and circumstances could ever come to be one volume, an organic whole? Well, we would naturally expect to find from such a background, well, we'd expect whole areas of disagreement, discord, all of it utterly lacking any basic organic unity. In point of fact, however, what do we find? We find the most heavenly and marvelous unity of any book on earth. Every part of the Bible fits every other part of the Bible. There is one ever-increasing, ever-growing, ever-developing plan pervading the whole. End quote. I love the fact that Chris Will captures the fact that this is a miraculous volume. This is a volume unlike any other volume, 1,600 years in composition, multiple authors from varying backgrounds. And as Criswell says, we would expect if you stitched all those together, you would find whole areas of disagreement and discord. But in fact, what we find is the, the whole works together. It actually functions to give a cohesive, comprehensive, unified vision of God himself. Psalm 119 is a passage that I memorized as a young man. And I was uh, given it to be memorized by well-meaning youth leaders, but I memorized it wrong. And I memorized it wrong because it was like eating the two outsides of the Oreos without the good stuff in the middle. Oh, the the shells are good, but the middle is what you're going for. Look at verse 9, Psalm 119, verse 19. This is how I memorized this passage. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Great passage. 
wonderful thoughts, great encouragement, but it skips verse 10. Let me read it again. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. That's the Lord. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that the word of God leads to the person of God. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. There are those who have pointed to our church in particular and our way of thinking as uh, Bible believers in uh, general and said that we are bibliolaters. You ever heard that term? We worship the Bible, not the God of the Bible. And I'm resistant to that accusation. And I'm also sensitive to the caricature that might have some truth in it. If the Word of God does not lead us to the God of the Word, then we're just studying behavior modification. We're just studying Christian culture. All of God's Word is intended to be an on-ramp to understand Him better, to understand His heart, His ways to give Him the worship He deserves. It is a way, it is a means to get to God. It's not an end in and of itself. There are many scholars throughout the history of Christianity who understand great and wonderful things about the Word of God, but they do not know the God of the Word. So what I want to do tonight before we start this study in, uh, on Sunday nights on each book of the Bible is just back up and say, how do we approach this book? How do we read it? How do we study it? A few years ago, many of you will be uh, reminded of a book that took um, the country and even the world by storm called the Da Vinci Code. And basically, Da Vinci Code was built on the idea that the Bible was a clue book. And if you could find the right clues, you could find the real secret and hidden message. Is that true? That actually attacks the very character and nature of God. Can I give you some good news tonight? God does not play hide and seek with his word. He's not playing a game saying, if you can figure it out, we, we call this the perspicuity of scripture, the clarity of God. God is fundamentally clear. He doesn't speak in language trying to hide things from us. Now we'll get to a section in Mark where Jesus did speak in parables on purpose to hide it from the people because they had rejected him. That was a specific application in a specific place in Israel. God has given us his word so that we could understand it. How do we understand the Bible? How do we interpret it? What's the goal of such Bible understanding? Do you have questions to those? Now, I want to think about it in two categories. And again, I'd love to talk with you about this at the end here in a minute. I think of Bible reading and Bible study a little different. I think of it, first of all, in terms of a snorkel and a scuba tank. Um, a snorkel is designed to stay on the surface of the water, to go down occasionally, but not very deep and not very long. And you stay at the surface and you can see under the water. If the water's clear enough, you can see down to the bottom. But you have a very high view of what's going on on the seafloor, on the lake bed. A scuba tank is intended to take you deep, 
to dive specifically, to go deeper and to stay longer. I think all of us need to understand that as an analogy and as an illustration of the way we approach the Scripture. I think we need to have a snorkel approach where we're getting all of God's Word exposed to our mind at some point. But we also need to have a scuba tank mentality where if there's an idea or a subject that we want to study more, that we have interest on, that we really think our soul needs, we need to understand the tools and be equipped to dive deep and get the treasures that are at the bottom. Another way to think of it is a coffee approach and a notebook approach. Now, if you can drink coffee all through this process, so just humor me for a minute. But there's a difference between sitting with a nice cup of coffee on a quiet morning, reading chapters of God's Word and understanding and listening. That's wonderful. That's different than having my pencil out, my notebook open, a commentary uh, beside me, and really drilling down on something that I want to focus in on. Can I offer you a, a, a suggestion that I think will serve you really well? In your reading, prepare for the scuba times. But when you're doing your scuba times, make sure that you continue to read widely in God's Word. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say that you're reading through um, the book of Numbers. And there are a lot of numbers in the book of Numbers. And there are things you don't understand. Let me just encourage you, in your reading, your coffee time, where you're just reading, you're getting a, as, as much exposure with your mind into God's Word as you can. Just keep a pencil, not a pen a pencil by your, by, your, by your Bible, and when you don't understand something or you have a question about something that you want to study further, just put a little light question mark in the margin of your Bible and then keep going. You can come back later, and one of the joys of this practice is when you get to study that, understand it, answer the question, and erase the question mark. So sometimes I think people can get Frankly, this is a weakness of mine. I get so curious about something. Instead of, instead of reading the three chapters that I wanted to, I find one verse and then I'm distracted for the next 30 minutes and I, I never finish the reading at all. Well, give yourself permission to say, I'll come back. Maybe take a pencil and do that. Also, let's say you're taking this year to study the book of, of Revelation. My wife did that this last year. In doing that, if you're focusing in on one book, on one nuance of God's Word, it's wonderful. Don't let that be the only thing that you expose your mind to throughout that whole year in God's Word. In other words, read and study, but understand that there are differences. Uh, if you're going to study every time you read, you're just going to be really slow. You're going to have questions that you need to answer and studies you're going to have to look up and words you're going to have to define. Give yourself permission that you're going to come back to it now. That means you got to come back to it. And what's helpful is if you can do this with a partner. And just say, you know, you get together once a week, once every few weeks, and say, what question marks did you put when you were reading through the book of Numbers? Here's what I did. And then when you're studying, it's also helpful to have someone who's studying alongside you, who has the, the same access to the tools you have, maybe some that you don't, and you're answering different questions. And hopefully that's in tandem with what we're doing on Sundays and during our Bible studies at Mission Road Bible Church. Uh, I, I love it when people are studying Mark with me, ahead of me, sometimes behind. Uh, it's, I had a high schooler uh, ask me a question a few weeks ago. I said, I know what you're going to be preaching on today. I can't wait for you to answer this. And I was instantly going, I hope I answered that question. So 
Very encouraging. So look at your coffee time and your notebook time a little differently. The snorkel approach and the scuba a little differently, but have both. Do you have a plan for reading your Bible? It's a very simple question, but I'm sometimes surprised by people who don't have an answer. Do you have a plan for reading your Bible? If you don't, and there have been times in my life when I haven't, this is what happens. You sit down with the Bible. I know I should read this. I know there's something in here for me. I know God's spoken to me in here. I, I want to read this. So um, I like Psalms. Or he made a bronze altar 20 cubits in length. And 20 cubits wide and 10 cubits high. I wonder how that's going to apply to my life today. That is not how God speaks. Have a plan. Let me give you some suggestions. There are, by the way, um, uh, Myrol has put together, I have it here somewhere, a wonderful little approach that's on our website. Um, where is this on? Resources, Myrol? under resources, on uh, reminders for reading your Bible, a lot of the same thoughts that we're talking about, the slow reading, the fast reading, the deep dive, the snorkel approach, and you can find this on our, our, our website. Um, but let me suggest that if you don't have a plan, I'd love to talk to you. One of the pastors would. There, there's many approaches. You can start in Genesis and read the Revelation. Wonderful approach. You can start in the New Testament. You can start in John. You can start by saying, I'm going to read 10 chapters a day. Um, there's a, a beloved professor at the Master's College who has a, an approach where you read 10 chapters of the Bible a day. I've done that before. It's very helpful. There are other approaches where you read a chapter a day, other approaches where you read a paragraph a day. I don't know if this is a surprise to you, but nowhere in the 66 books of the Bible does it say, thou shalt read the Bible in a year. Now, that's a good approach. It's about three chapters a day. It's a very manageable way to, to get through God's Word, and that's wonderful. But you need to read intentionally. Let me encourage you. It's better to read less, more intentionally, than a lot with a scattered brain. I don't know what it is. I think it may be supernaturally fueled. I think there might possibly be demonic activity when we read our Bibles because the enemy doesn't want us to do it. But for some reason, when I read my Bible, my mind can go a thousand different places. Have you ever read a chapter or more in your Bible and thought, I have no idea what I just read, but your eyes covered the pages? Let me encourage you to do something that a, a discipler when I was in high school, actually I was in first year of college, encouraged me to do a long time ago. It was a great practical application then, and it is to this day. He said, keep a pen or pencil and a piece of paper beside you. Today we can say your, your phone or your iPad. And every time you have a distracting thought, write it down, and then remember that you'll remember it when you finish it, but give yourself permission to forget it while you're reading your Bible. Actually, a very good thought. Okay, I, need, I, I have to uh, go to the store and get A, B, and C. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Now come back to your Bible. I don't know that you can completely cleanse your mind, 
But isn't it interesting? I mean, I've read novels. I've read nonfiction. I've read uh, fiction books. For some reason, I can be most distracted when I'm reading the Bible. Am I the only person who has that? Okay, I've got a few north and souths. I do think that there's supernatural warfare uh, involved in that. And it just means slowing down and focusing in on what we're doing. The scripture does not yield its treasures to lazy people. It takes effort. It's the yes-no principle. You know what the yes-no principle is, right? Every yes is a no to something else. Everything you say no to is a yes to something else. To say yes to getting your mind exposed to God's word, to reading your Bible, to say yes to that means you're going to have to willfully say no to something else. Could be some sleep. Could be a television show. Could be an activity. What are you willing to say no to so that you can and will say yes to reading God's word? Can I talk to you a minute uh, about your Bible? Your Bible. I want to suggest, listen, I have my Bible on my phone. I have it on my iPad. I have it on my computer. I have multiple copies. But can I suggest to you that you have a, for lack of a better term, a home Bible, your main Bible, the one you're going to write notes in, the one you're going to underline, the one you really bring to church, the one that you want to see with your own eyes what the preacher is saying and the one you have your devotions in the most. I thank God that God's Word is, is on my phone. I can't tell you how many times I've been able to access it or look it up, but I want to suggest this is, this is not a mandate. It's just a suggestion that you have a main printed Bible that's your, that's your, your home base. Um, that means, first of all, first and foremost, you're choosing your translation. Now, we preach from the New American Standard here at Mission Road Bible Church. Uh, there are many of you who use the English Standard Version, the ESV, or the New King James, the Holman. Those are wonderful translations. Frankly, none of them are going to lead you astray. Just have a Bible that's your home Bible, one that you memorize. This, is, this has been the edition of, of, of the New American Standard that I've used for so long. You can ask me, where is Romans 8, 1, and I'll tell you where it is on the page. Uh, 1 Peter 4, oh, it's right there. 1 Peter 3, it starts right there. I, I, I know, it's just, I've read it so much, it's, it's, it's a part of me. Make that a part of your experience where you own a copy of the Bible that's, that's really, really your home base. Now, having said that, I'm not asking you to go spend a lot of money, but have a Bible that's structurally and functionally good. Um, I, I think it's, if you're going to use this for years and years, maybe decades, it's worth investing some time and some money into getting a Bible that's really the one that you love, the one that matches your eye best. It comes down, down to as simple as this. Um, some people love paragraph Bibles. You understand what that is? Where it's a paragraph and the verses are in the middle and you can see the paragraphs. That's wonderful. I like to have all the verses, the numbers on the side. As a preacher, it's easier for me to find things when I'm turning there. But it just, it lays more um, aesthetically pleasing to my mind. That's a completely subjective thing. Go to the, uh, go out to Midwestern uh, seminary and look at their, they have a wonderful Bible selection. And just spend 10 or 15 minutes looking through the different uh, editions. Um, which one 
do you think would please your eye for, for long reading at a time? Um, translation first, the edition second. Um, size is an important feature with your Bible. I, I'll never forget, it's, it was a precious, precious moment. I was able to lead a man to Christ uh, back when I was doing college ministry. And uh, I said, listen, we need, we need to get you a Bible, so I, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I'd love to buy your Bible. And he said, okay. So next week I met with him, and he, he was so anxious to get into the Bible, he had bought his own. And he went down to a bookstore, and he bought a family-sized Bible that was just massive. And I said, kindly, I said, what were you thinking? I mean, what? He says, I wanted the biggest, best Bible I could find. Okay, but you're probably not going to carry that around very much. So look at the size. <coughs> Even study notes. My main Bible has no study notes. I love using the MacArthur Study Bible or the NIV uh, uh, Study Notes or the ESV Study Notes. Those are wonderful helps. But for my home Bible, I like having one with no study notes. If you like one with study notes, that's fine. Just be careful that you're not disrupted every time you have a question of going to footnotes. It, it just can be disruptive. Maybe mark it and come back at the end. You just don't want to become so dependent on study notes that they almost become a part of the canon for you, a part of the Scripture itself. Um, just find your home Bible. I love my Bible. I love this Bible. I love the way it feels. I love the way it smells. I love the way it reads. I love the font. I love the size. When I think of Bible reading, this is where I want to be. But that doesn't mean that if I'm in a doctor's office, which I was this week, and I was able to need to read my Bible, wanting to read my Bible, I had it on my phone. Praise God for that. I almost feel like on Sunday mornings, instead of saying, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, I need to say, turn on your Bible to Mark chapter 8, because so many people do that. There's nothing wrong with electronic Bibles. Let me just encourage you to have a print one that you can really own and get to know. You also need to remember that devotions don't have to be limited. Sometimes we think, sometimes I think we, we fool ourselves that... You know, devotions are going to be from 7 to 7.30 in the morning, from 6 to 6.30 or at lunch. That's wonderful. Having that time is, is, is fantastic. But because we have the Bible on our phone, because we have the Bible accessible, because we can have multiple copies, I have one in my, in my glove box in my car. I have one on my desk at home. I have one, multiple ones just about anywhere I am in our house. How about reading some of God's Word outside of your devotional time? You know you can, right? You have permission from God to read his word anytime. You have 10 minutes, you're on lunch break. Why not read a little bit of God's word? Now you know that we have a book that is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And that we need to approach the Bible. And these are, we've covered this before, but I want to remind you. Cover the Bible with three steps for reading and study. That's observation interpretation, and application. Observation. Just what is there? What does it say? What does it not say? 
just reading the, paying attention to the grammar, the subject, the, the verbs, the predicates. I'm convinced of this. This might be a strange thing to say, but I hope our teachers in the room will appreciate this. If you're going to become a serious student of the Bible, eventually you'll become a serious student of the English language. Subjects matter. Verbs matter. Active verb, stative verb, who's, who's the reference to the verb. Pronouns matter. The word him, H-I-M, who's that talking about? Is that God the Father? Is that God the Son? Is that Tychicus? Is that Paul? Who is him? Understanding language will deepen your understanding of God's word. That comes under observation. You know, I sat under um, John MacArthur for many, many years, decades, and heard him preach week in and week out. And began after a while to just kind of do some kind of an observation of his observation. And I thought, what really makes John a compelling preacher? You know what it is? He exercises simple but insightful powers of observation. He shows you what's there that upon slower and closer observation you can discover as well. Search for the relationships and the words, the phrases, the sentences, the paragraphs, the stories, or we call those pericopes, the sections, the chapters, the books, the genres, the testament, the whole Bible. What are these connections that are being made? Notice the geography, the time, the characters, the details. Always give special attention to the narrator. Can we just have some, some fun for a minute? Have you ever noticed something about the narrators in the Bible? You know, the one who wrote 2 Samuel, the writer of, of 1 Kings. Have you ever noticed that the narrator actually has, put your seatbelt on, divine omniscience in places? How in the world? How in the world can Moses write in Genesis that he knew what someone was thinking if it was in their heart. Because the Spirit of God, through the inspiration of inspiring that writing at that time, gave them the gift of understanding what was going on in, in people's minds. How about this? Sometimes the narrator knows what's going on in heaven. You ever thought about Job? How did the narrator know about this meeting between Satan and God? How did he figure that out? incredible to listen to the narrator. It's a guaranteed orthodox voice in the passage. Listen to the narrator. And don't be fooled, you know this, by verses and chapter divisions. Those are so helpful so I can say, hey, let's meet in Psalm 119 verse 9 and we can all go there pretty quickly. But know that those, are, those were added later. They weren't a part of the original. Sometimes there are chapter divisions where there, there shouldn't be chapter divisions. Like between Romans 5 and 6, that should be a flow. And it's, it just make sure that you're, you know they're there, but you're not seeing those as divinely inspired. God didn't say, okay, Moses, chapter 36 of Genesis. And he wrote number 36. Didn't happen like that. Observation, observation, observation. Secondly, interpretation. What does it mean? And remember, we have... Um, Four main principles that we look at. Literal, historical, grammatical, contextual. 
Literal. The Bible is to be interpreted literally. It says what it means. It means what it says. But literal (laughs) includes figurative language. To say we interpret the Bible literally doesn't mean that we dismiss all figurative language. The psalmist multiple times talks about the rising and the setting of the sun. You do know that the sun does not rise, neither does it it set, but the earth rotates. Well, does that mean that the Bible has no integrity because it says that the sun rises? No. It's just using figurative language, normal language like you and I would as well. So look at it regularly, literally. God does not have a speech impediment. He's spoken clearly in his word and expects that we would understand what he says. So take it regularly, which means avoiding allegorizing and spiritualizing and looking for things that are not really there because they're not really there. Historical, literal historical. The historical principle means that all of these books of the Bible happened in a historical context. And understanding that historical context is greatly beneficial to aiding to the understanding of of the passage. And a good study Bible, a good commentary, a simple commentary will help with those. Grammatical, literal historical grammatical. As I said before, the grammar is where the actual... um, main message of the, uh, of the passage is delivered and where it's most often missed by our refusal to look at the grammar of a passage. What is it saying? Just for a minute, turn over to Ephesians 1. I want to show you something that's, uh, where the grammar matters, but the way the verses are parsed out doesn't help. <coughs> Ephesians 1, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. What's the problem there? In love doesn't go with that verse. Actually, we should put in love down in verse 5. In love, he predestined us. All I'm saying is look at the grammar, and the grammar will give you clues as to what's happening in the flow of a passage. So literal, historical, grammatical, and then contextual. How many times have we said it? The first three rules of a biblical interpretation are context, context, context. So you look at the context, what comes before, what comes after. What is the verse meaning and saying in its context? So we're looking at observation, interpretation, what it means, then application. So what? How does it work and why does it matter? The goal is to move from the past in the Bible to the present, from the historical to the contemporary, and from the particular to the universal. Paul told the Ephesians something particularly. There's a universal principle for us to apply universally. Now, Let me ask you, please be careful on application, not to rush to what does this mean for me before understanding what it meant to them. The Bible will never mean today something it didn't mean to the original audience. It's not a magic charm book. It's not a Da Vinci code we figure out. The author's intent carries over from the original to us. 
Can I give you just a quick footnote on taking notes on sermon while we're talking about the Bible? Outlines don't change lives. They can be helpful, but an outline is like a Dixie cup. You know, you drink from it, you throw it away. It's a way to get something in our minds. So as you're taking notes for a sermon, when you're, I think it's similar to taking notes from your Bible and your journal. Write down things that you really want to remember, things that are true about God, things that the Holy Spirit reveals about yourself. Writing down the outline and giving that exact. Some of you have enough outline notes about outlines you could sink a battleship with them. But they're sitting on a desk or a shelf collecting dust. Take notes to yourself. Talk to yourself in your notes. And do the same thing in your, in your own Bible study. Write down what, why does this matter for me today? So, let's summarize. Two main broad approaches to Bible reading and Bible study. Fast-paced reading. By fast-paced, I don't mean you're hurrying. I just mean you're reading larger sections without being uh, distracted by things you want to study uh, deeper at a later time. There also are times that we study things deeper with a scuba. We go down and stay longer, and we study until we really understand and can apply. I, I, was, <laughs> I would suggest having both of those in your arsenal in terms of attacking your own soul with God's Word, that you do both. So with that, we have just a few minutes. If um, Questions about Bible reading, Bible study. And um, I want to make this as practical as you, as you can. Having a plan, what does that mean? There are several plans on our website. Uh, Tim Challies has just Googled Tim Challies Bible reading plans. He has a dozen or so that you can look at. I would rather you read less more deliberately than more carelessly. A verse a day deeply meditated on and applied is better than six chapters and you don't even know what you read at the end. So, any questions on Bible reading, Bible study? Aaron, you have a question. <coughs> what, uh, what part does emotion and feeling play in either reading or thinking that it's a profitable time of reading? Whew. What part? Oh, you heard it because he had the microphone. Um, you know, I've wrestled with that over the years. Um, I say this at great risk, but I'm going to say it. And hopefully this encourages you, doesn't disqualify me. There are times when I read my Bible and I walk away largely unaffected. I wouldn't even call it a dry time. I would just say, I read it and glad Samuel did that. It was interesting, but it's not a life-changing. Emotionally, it's not moving. It's not stirring. Um, I still think it's, it's renewing our minds. Um, there are also times, let me, let me answer it for another way. I had a guy tell me once, look, I'm not reading the Bible until I feel like it because God knows I'm not sincere, so I'm not going to read it because he knows I don't care. Well, I hate to tell you this, but there are, It is rare that I have this emotional, euphoric, I'm going to read my Bible. Oftentimes it's, 
I need to do this because I know I need to. Now it becomes, it can become emotional in the middle of it. it I can have a change of heart. Sometimes I'm attracted to it. Um, you know, reading Second Kings is, don't read Second Kings at night. And the reason is you won't want to go to sleep. You want to know what happens in the next chapter. Don't read Ezekiel at night. You will say, what happens next? This is like a, it is so interesting. So emotions do play a role. You just don't want to be a sub, subjected to your emotions that if I don't feel like it, I won't do it. And not expect that every time you're going to have personal revival. You know, does that kind of answer the question? Um, so emotions play a part. They just don't drive the ship. They're, they're definitely the caboose and not the engine. They, they get pulled along. And if you have a, an emotional time with the Lord, wonderful. But if you don't, don't walk away saying that was useless. God is renewing your mind slowly, day by day. Myrl has another question. The, 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 the two guys who ought to be answering questions. You mentioned earlier the study Bible and <coughs> just the risk of, you know, reading a line and looking down. How... How would you help somebody who has a study Bible and looks at that and thinks, why didn't I come away from my reading with all of the stuff yeah. that's down here? Yeah, study Bibles are helpful, but you have to remember that study Bibles are written by people who have spent thousands of hours studying this. And I have read, a, look, they're really helpful for a shortcut too. I've been reading, and boy, what does this mean? And look down at my MacArthur study Bible, and he has a, a footnote that helps. That's wonderful. So used as an aid for understanding is great. Used as a crutch for understanding is a problem. I do think we need to remember we have the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit in our, in our souls who can teach and lead us. Um, so having the notes is helpful. Just don't become dependent on them. And don't be discouraged if you're reading that. What does that mean? You read it and you, the note and you go, oh, of course. Well, there's a reason that they've, oh, of course, that verse because they've studied it longer and deeper and, and uh, uh, with a scuba more than you and I have. So use them as a tool. Just don't become dependent on them. You have the Holy Spirit. I think Aaron just became the microphone guy. Yep. Marine. So a couple years ago, I did an in-depth study myself over the course of several months studying Ezra and Nehemiah. Yep. And at the time, Fred was doing other things in his Bible. And um, when I hit some really in-depth questions about what I was studying, um, I go to my husband first, but of course he went to medical school, not seminary. So at <coughs> what point is it appropriate for me to take some of those in-depth questions formulate that into, say, an email and send it to one of my members of the pastoral staff, sure. such yeah. as, you know, my role <laughs> or whatever. Listen, 1 Corinthians 11 says that if, if, if a wife has a question, she should ask her husband. That's a general principle that's wonderful. And he was trying to keep the services from being disruptive where the sermons were becoming question and answer times. Um, and the ladies had a lot of questions. That's wonderful. But it doesn't answer all the questions because what if you're a single lady? What if you're a high school woman? What if you're a widow? What? So, yes, I think it's wonderful if you start with your husband and say, what does this mean? If he says, I don't know, study it together. But we also have pastors and elders who can help. Uh, so uh, let us be the second line of answer. Ask Fred first. 
um, and see if you can work it out and study it. But that's, that's what we're here for. And you're not violating 1 Corinthians 11 if you, if, you, uh, if you do that. 1 Corinthians 14, if you do that. So, good question. Daniel. Uh, 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 Gary and then Daniel. <coughs> Sorry. Rick, um, how do you go about choosing commentaries? In other words, yeah. how, do, how, how do you know to select one commentary over another? How do you select one commentary over the other? That is, that, is, that is something I think you're better served by asking your pastors and elders who've read dozens of them. Um, because if you just go to a Amazon or you just go to a bookstore and you find a, a commentary on something, it, it could be liberal, it could be Catholic, it could be Greek Orthodox, it could be anything. So the reason that you have pastors and elders... The church has pastors and elders as guardians of the truth, as stewards of the mysteries of God, so that we can help you do that. We don't have all the answers, but I can certainly tell you, if you're studying Ephesians, these are three places that I would trust to look. And if you have one that's not, I would say that's, that's not a trustworthy source. So let us help and serve you in that way. Great. Daniel. So as we have our home Bible and we're reading over the years, do you have any tips for what to mark or highlight or ways, methods, what to, or what to not mark up that gets in the way? Yeah, I mean, marking your Bible is a very subjective and individual thing. And, and I mean, I'm looking at, we're in Ephesians, I'm looking at Ephesians, and I have, you know, um, a few things underlined, uh, faithful, uh, I see According to the kind intention of his will, down here it says the kind intention. I just drew a line there so I would know that those are connected. I just want to make connections and things that I want to remember. Or sometimes I mark it so I can find things better. Um, so think through how can I mark my Bible so it's most useful for me. Um, you know, in, in Mark, um, because we're studying Mark, I have so many little notes I know you can't see this, but trust me. So many notes that I'm putting out here so that if I ever go to Mark again, I'll remember. These are things that are, that are, that are helpful to me. So I think Mark, I mark my Bible in a way that I will remember things, can be able to find things that are insightful, that are accents. You know, this is the verb here. Um, I'll write notes. If one of the guys are preaching that I have an insight, I'll put that in my margin. So uh, but it's, a, it's a highly subjective way that you study, that you mark your Bible um, some people use highlighters. I would suggest using the, the non-bleed-through ones. I mean, we're really getting practical now. There are some that if you, if you highlight that page, you just highlighted six chapters all the way through. So um, if you want his color. Um, but think through, I, I think I would say, think through how you want to do it before you start just marking anything and everything. I, I do connections and things I want to remember and things I want to find. Ryan. How should we use should we use cross references? And speci a specific question is: Are cross <laughs> what is the point of cross references? Are they an idea or are they just a word? Yeah, the cross references in your Bible are 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 very reliable. I I don't, I don't know north of ninety percent reliable that they're going to um, they're going to give you a, a a place that that subject that person 
that concept is referenced somewhere else in the scripture. Um, I think it's good to cross-reference, but cross-reference after you've let that passage, passage sing its song and, and say its piece. Just, Ryan, one of the hardest things for me preaching through Mark is not to preach a harmony of the Gospels. Because Luke says this and Matthew says this and he's got more there. And instead of letting Mark say what he wants to say, sometimes we turn to these other passages to see and, and include those. But use cross-references as that word. Cross-references. They're, they're a reference to it. They're not the main source of it. So use them, look at them, especially if you're confused about something, uh, if you want to do a study on them. But those are also additions of a man's mind, not ordained by the Spirit of God. Good. Aaron, you're going to get your steps in tonight. Jacob. What's an appropriate mix? What's an appropriate mix of using books, other material in my Bible time. Sometimes it's like if I read this book, well, I'm not reading the Bible. This book is inspired. The Bible's inspired. It's less quality. Yeah, How do you do that? That's a good question. Look, I want, I want our church to be a reading church. We have 12 books that we recommended, 10 books out, out in the lobby. I, I think you should be a, a reader of good Christian books, but that should be secondary to reading God's Word. Um, but you want to be careful that you say, well, I only read God's Word. I don't read books. Well, then you're arrogant. That's, you, you think you, you know more than everybody else. So read books alongside the Bible. Read them collateral to the Bible, but read them secondary to the Bible. That, that the Bible is your main, main source of spiritual sustenance. But we should be readers of, of good Christian books. By dead guys and live guys. Um, some of the best stuff is written by people who are in heaven. They didn't write it from heaven, but they are in heaven now. So be careful how I say that. <laughs> All right, last one. Christina. Where would you place value on joining group Bible studies at the church as a part of your Bible reading or replacement of it or adding to it? <coughs> Where do you put group Bible studies? Um, I don't think, I think there's something to even be able to say, look, the more Bible input, the better. But you also don't want to have so many scattered studies that you're, you're, they, they begin, uh, things get muddy in your mind. I think group Bible studies are wonderful. Um, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We're not Roman Catholic where we think you cannot understand the Bible unless I tell you what it means. But we also want to be careful that when there are questions that you have shepherds and elders and pastors at your church, you know, to help navigate those things. But group Bible studies are, are, are wonderful. Um, I, I would encourage all of you to be a part of the, the ladies' studies or the, the men's studies as your schedule would allow. So um, they, they play a part. Um, don't let them be, a, this may be where you're going, Christina, don't let them be a substitute for your own personal study. Those can go hand in glove. If, if you and a ladies' Bible study are studying, you know, 1 Corinthians and you want to use that for your scuba, that's, that's great. Um, just make sure that you are attached to God in a way that's just you and him in a wonderful, special, unique time and place. So take advantage of the studies in the church, though. So with all that, 
Here in a couple weeks, we're going to start with Genesis, and uh, there will be quizzes at the end. No, there won't be quizzes, um, so that you understand what these books of the Bible are uh, in toto. Um, and I trust it's going to be a good study that we'll, we're going to enjoy. Um, I haven't clearly ironed out all the wrinkles for how it's going to go. Lord willing, we'll be able to have some, uh, we want to make it a real family-oriented time. We'll have some time to even maybe have some discussions at the end of some of these books. But covering you know, 50 chapters in one sermon is going to be a challenge. So be faithful this week. Remember who you belong to. My sons, when I dropped them off at school when they were little, I always said, remember who you belong to. First of all, I wanted them to remember they were my son, which was important. But secondly, if the Lord has bought you, remember who you belong to. You are now lights to Kansas City. Go be those lights. Father, give us clear encouragement, on what we should be reading from your word, how should we be reading it, how, how much, how often. Work this out in our own heart for joy, not out of guilt, not out of checking a box so that we feel better, but out of knowing you as you reveal yourself through your word. I'm grateful for this body of believers who love you, who love your son, who are unified who love the leaders and the leaders who love them. What a blessing we have here at Mission Road. We're grateful for this week and the opportunities that will be ahead of us. Keep us faithful until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.